Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Indians 5, the Chicago White Sox 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a game we had yesterday. The Indians did it again. They have the magic again. The magic in progressive field is working as they come back down three runs to beat the White Sox. How did it go down? How did it all happen? Let's dive into this game. It was Zach Plesak on the mound for the Indians making his final start of the season. It was Dallas Keuchel on the mound making his final start for the White Sox of the season. And neither pitcher would end up figuring into this the decision it would go to the bullpens, despite both pitchers pitching pretty good, pretty darn good. I know Plesak's line at the end of the day isn't going to look great because of the seventh inning, but he was pitching really, really good up until that point. He was pitching a one-hitter, I believe, going into that seventh inning. So let's dive into this game. Let's see how it all went down. The Indians in the first inning, uh, Lindor grounds out, Hernandez grounds out, Ramirez doubles, Ramirez stays red hot and doubles in the left field, but then is dancing too far off of second base. He's picked off by catcher Yasmani Grandal, who throws back behind him to second, gets caught in a rundown, and he's tagged out to end the first inning. That is definitely not the way that Jose Ramirez saw that inning going, but it ends the inning for the Indians. In the top of the third inning, Zach Plesak would be cruising into the third inning. He gets Nomar Mazzara to fly out to begin, but then hangs a curveball. If you want to talk definition of hanging a curveball, go check out the highlight of Yolmer Sanchez's first home run on the season. He hits a fly ball out to right center field that... Uh, Luplo runs out of room, and it is out of here. Man, his first home run of the season, uh, he is not, definitely not known for his home run prowess. He has 32 home runs in his career that spans 2,239 at-bats. So definitely someone who's not known for their pop. His career OPS is 660. By the way, his OPS this season for Yomar Sanchez is 1.164 as the utility player for the White Sox. So, uh, yeah, having a great season off the bench for uh, Sanchez. And that would be the only hit that Plesak would give up until the seventh inning. I mean, the dude was really, really cruising. For the Indians, they would then... Answer right back. This is something the Indians have done all series. It's actually something the White Sox have done all series, too. Is that every time the White Sox scored, the Indians actually had an answer. And that's going to be huge coming up in the playoffs here. We are going to need some of that. So, in the third, Keuchel on the mound. Roberto Perez, uh, Mercado pops out to start the inning. Then Roberto Perez doubles into right field. And that's big for Perez. I, I have a feeling. I got a gut feeling that Roberto Perez might do something awesome in the playoffs. I know he's not, he's definitely not known for his bat. He'll never be known for his bat, but he can have some timely hitting, some pop when we need it. 
I have a feeling here that there might be some heroics from Roberto Perez in these playoffs. So he doubles. Delano DeShields grounds out. Francisco Lindor walks. They got runners on first and second. Two outs. Cesar Hernandez works the count. I believe it was a full count that he works himself into. Yes. And then he gets a pitch that he can handle. The runners are moving on the pitch. He doubles it down the right field line. It actually ends up going for a ground rule double, unfortunately, because the runners were moving on the pitch. If that ball bounces off the wall and stays in play, there is no question that Francisco Lindor was scoring all the way from first. But it actually hops up into the seats, hits the cement, and bounces back into the field. So it's a ground rule double. Lindor has to stop at third, and that would prove costly. We would tie the game 1-1 when Roberto Perez comes in to score on that, but Jose Ramirez would ground out to Tim Anderson to end that threat. And uh, that was interesting because on that highlight, they had the White Sox announcers call of that highlight, and they were both saying, do you really want to pitch to Jose Ramirez right now? What do you say we just walk Jose Ramirez with first base open? But Keiko was kind of pitching around the zone. He threw him a breaking ball that Jose Ramirez just beat into the ground to Tim Anderson for an easy out. And that's what Keuchel's known for. Keuchel's known for ground balls. That's what he does. He induces ground balls. Plesak would continue to cruise. He'd strike out two more White Sox in the fourth inning. He would strike out another in the fifth. The Indians would have a little bit of a threat going in the sixth inning with Cesar Hernandez singling, Jose Ramirez walking behind him, but then Santana would line out and Fermil Reyes would pop out to end that threat. So, uh... A little bit of a threat going against Keuchel here, but I'm telling you, this was this game did not pick up until the seventh inning. All right, seventh inning starts off. Zach Plesac goes back out onto the mound. I don't know how many pitches he was at to start the inning, but he ends up throwing 95 pitches on the day, 61 for strikes. So Yonhan Mankata starts this thing off by tripling off the wall in left center field. It was a strange play that Delino DeShields played it horribly. He basically pinned himself to the wall. However, looking back on the replay, it really looks like he thought he could catch it. He thought for sure he was going to catch this ball, and the ball beat him to the wall. Now, we've seen before where you know outfielders kind of slam into the wall and don't come up with it, right? We've seen Delino DeShields do that. We saw Robert do that earlier in this series where they think they got it, but when they hit that wall, you know, they can't make the catch. This was not that situation. This time, the ball just beat him to the wall. He just wasn't fast enough. So, Mancata triples because the ball shoots away. Mercado has to recover it. I mean, we're lucky this wasn't an in-the-park home run. Yasmani Grandal would then ground out to Carlos Santana at first base. It was a ball that Santana had to knock down. Santana made some really good plays defensively last night. This almost was one of them. If he comes up with this cleanly, Makata would be frozen at third base, but it trickles away for a second. He's able to step on first and get Grandal out, but Makata comes in to score, makes it 2-1 White Sox. Okay, we could live with that. However, the next batter, Jose Abreu, walks. Eloy Jimenez then doubles on a ball to center field. I don't know exactly where this one was hit. I was listening to the radio on this one, but the way Hamilton made it sound, it sounded like Delano DeShields should have caught this ball. This was not a great inning for Delano DeShields. So, Enwin Encarnacion then strikes out, which is huge because there were runners on second and third with one out. 
So he gets Edwin Arcanacion to strike out swinging, makes it two outs. However, Nomar Mazzara singles into left field, and it brings in both runners. Just some good hitting from Nomar Mazzara. He threw him a breaking ball that was down and away. I mean, really away. And it's such a key piece of hitting to be able to go to the opposite field. And Mazzara did it perfectly here. He took a pitch that was away and just pokes it in between short and third. No one had a chance at it. And it brings in two runs, makes it four to one Cleveland. So, like I said, Plesak was pitching fantastic. But if the Lino De Shields plays that triple better, if you know, he plays Eloy Jimenez's double better. Maybe he gets out of this thing. It felt like some really bad luck here. Cam Hill would come in. He'd give up a long, long fly ball to center field to Yomer Sanchez. This time, Delino DeShields is able to run it down, make a leaping catch at, well, the top of the padded wall. If you, you know what progressive field, I almost said Jacobs field. It's still the Jake to me. Believe me, I love calling it Jacobs field. But it's progressive field. So if you know what progressive field looks like out in left field, you've got the pad. It's the 19-foot wall, but you've got the padded wall, and then you've got the digital scoreboard stuck in the middle of the wall. So he caught this just over that padded wall, just under that digital board. It's a nice leaping catch, but he was pissed. He didn't even he didn't pump his chest. He didn't celebrate the catch. He flipped the ball to Mercado and just kind of trudged back into the dugout because he was pissed at how that inning went down. So it's four to one now, White Sox. And you're thinking, um, we're done. All right, you know what? We did good. Three out of four against the first place team is pretty good. You know, we we can all pat ourselves on the back for that, right? Nope, not that fast. The Indians bench had something to say about it. And this is rare. You will n- probably never see this again. It had been almost 50 years since this last happened. The last time this happened was in 1974, and we'll get into that in a second. But the Indians go to their bench because they take the lefty Keuchel out and they bring in Jimmy Cordero. So what do the Indians do? They go to their bench and they start bringing up their lefty hitters. Josh Naylor, he gets a single into left field. Okay. Tyler Naquin, the pitch hits for Mercado. Josh Naylor was pinch hitting for Luplo. Tyler Naquin, who's in a big slump. I mean, a big slump. He gets a ground ball through the left side into left field for a single. Runners on first and second, nobody out. Then Mike Freeman comes in for Roberto Perez. Why not? Why not empty the bench full of lefties? Alomar said after the game, we had him there. Why, might as well put him in. He singles on a this this is crazy i didn't see this i can't find i didn't see it on any highlights but it's a single i love this description singles on a pop-up to shortstop tim anderson again i was listening to it he gets a weird little bloop infield hit i think he popped it up over tim anderson's head and Naylor moves up to third naquin moves up to second everybody's safe bases are loaded for our nine hitter delino to shields and unfortunately we were out of lefties he grounds out the third baseman, Johan Moncada, who comes home to Yasmani Grandal. Luckily, Delano DeShields is fast enough that he doesn't get doubled up at first. So, one out, the bases stay loaded. Delano DeShields continues to have a terrible seventh inning. Francisco Lindor would then fly out to left field. It's not deep enough for anybody to tag up. Once again, Francisco Lindor struggling with the bases loaded. 
in the pressure situations, but Cesar Hernandez, we've got Cesar Hernandez batting behind him, and he's able to hit a line drive just over Yomer Sanchez's glove at second base. I mean, just. It's just enough to get the ball into right field for a single. Tyler Naquin comes in to score. Mike Freeman can run. He comes in to score, sliding on his stomach in the home plate. He just misses the tag. It was a close play. It was closer than Hamilton made it sound on the radio. And he scores to make it 4-3. to three. And Delano DeShields goes all the way to third. And, and Jose Ramirez is up next. And suddenly you're thinking, this game that we thought was completely out of hand, if you look at the win probability line, it is all in the favor of the White Sox in the seventh inning until Cesar Hernandez gets that big hit and suddenly things seem possible again. Jose Ramirez up. He gets a fastball and he drives it off that 19-foot wall in left field. And Cesar Hernandez can fly. That dude was cooking around the bases. Obviously, Delano DeShields comes in to score. Cesar Hernandez scores all the way from first base, scores standing. That's how fast he was running. It makes it five to four Indians. And once again, Jose Ramirez comes up with the clutch hit, the clutchest of clutch hits to put the Indians up in an inning where you thought this game was over. The uh, the White Sox also did a strange thing in this inning because they went to Carlos Rodon. And Rodon is someone who's been a longtime starter for them, but often injured. He's someone who is supposed to be an ace of that staff, but can't stay healthy. And for some reason, they bring him in to pitch to Jose Ramirez with run. Oh, no, they brought him in to pitch to Cesar Hernandez with the bases loaded. After Cordero almost got out of it. Right, He gets the ground out of the shields. He gets Lindor to fly out. Cordero almost gets out of it. Instead, they go to Rodon, and he gives up the hits to Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez. So a little bit of a strange move there by the White Sox. Hamilton couldn't wrap his head around it why he was out there. Uh, Carlos Santana would pop out to end that threat. Credit where credit is due. Jose Abreu made an over-the-shoulder basket catch in foul territory down the right field line. Uh, who knows where this inning goes if he doesn't make that catch. Uh, pretty impressive. So uh, Carlos Santana and Jose Abreu definitely going back and forth this series, flashing the leather, uh, competing for that first base gold glove award. Uh, I don't I don't know if either guy is really in contention for that. I haven't seen the defensive metrics across baseball, but I know they both made some good plays yesterday. All right. So for the Indians, Cam Hill stays on the mound. Yeah, Cam Hill stayed on the mound. Wow. I, you know, I didn't even think about that last night. Cam Hill came in to end that seventh inning for the Indians, and he goes back out there. He doesn't go to Wickren. He doesn't go to Karinchek. He stays with Cam Hill in a one-run uh, one game in the eighth inning, and Cam Hill works. He strikes out Jared Dyson, gets him looking, gets Tim Anderson to ground out, and gets Johan Moncada to fly out. So, uh, not an easy set of batters that Cam Hill had to face, but he does a great job in the eighth inning. Cam Hill's numbers are a little bit deceiving. He's got a 4.5 ERA, a 4.50 ERA, but his whip is 0.72. That that is strange. You you often when you see an ERA ERA that high, a 4.5, you think the guy would have been hit around a little bit. No. Nine hits, nine earned runs, and 18 innings pitched. Um, he has given up three home runs. So I'm 
guessing the home runs are what has driven up that ERA, but you know, a multi, you know, a multi-run home run, a two-run home run, a three-run home run definitely is going to make your ERA look bad, but it only counts as one hit. So it's not going to make your whip look terrible. So a little bit of a strange line for Cam Hill. But yeah, he he does a great job in the eighth inning. Cam Hill actually gets the win in this game. He moves to 2-0 on the season. And then in the ninth inning, it's Brad Hand's turn, and Brad Hand is locked in. He gets Yasmani Grandal to strike out swinging. Jose Abreu called out looking. And then pinch hitter James McCann, he grounds out to Santana at first base to end the game. So... That's how it all went then. I told you. I told you that seventh inning was the game. I mean, all you got to do, go back and watch the highlights of the seventh inning. You'll see this whole game. So, uh, unfortunately, you'll miss some good pitching from Dallas Keuchel and Zach Plesak because they were both they were both pitching really well to start the game. Keuchel's final line, he also gets a no decision. Six innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, two walks, and three strikeouts. So not dominating with the strikeouts. In fact, the Indians batters would only strike out four times yesterday. What? The Cleveland Indians only struck out four times? I'm, I'm impressed by that. The White Sox hitters struck out 10 times because the line for Plesak, six and two-thirds, four hits, four earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts for him, and that solo home run given up. Plesak's ERA actually climbed. We said that he had an ERA under two. Well, it climbed to 2.28 to finish the season. Still a pretty good a pretty good line for the season. I don't think you'll complain about a 2.28 ERA on the season. Keiko, we said it yesterday, could get his ERA under two, and he did. Going six innings, he got his ERA down to 1.99. So I'm sure Keiko is very happy about that, although I'm sure he's not happy that the White Sox just got swept and that he couldn't do anything to stop it. The loss goes to Rodon. Brad Hand's 15th save on the season, leading baseball. His ERA is down to 2.18. Man, what a great, great season it's been for Brad Hand so far. So there you go. The Indians do it 10 hits compared to only four hits for the White Sox. MVP for the day. Man, all right. And Jose Ramirez is definitely trending towards MVP for the season. But I'm going to give MVP for the day to Cesar Hernandez. When it was when we were down, when the win probability was all in the White Sox favor, when you can even look at the win probability line here because in that seventh inning, there's a big peak for the White Sox, and then it dips back down towards the even line and then shoots back up for the White Sox before the Indians take over. So that first peak is when the White Sox are getting all their runs in the top of the inning. When it dips back down towards even, that's when all those pinch hit hat hits are happening. When it goes back up for the, in the White Sox favor, that's when they get those two outs in the inning with the bases loaded, and it looks like it's going to be the White Sox game until Cesar Hernandez gets that hit. He gets that single. He drove in three runs on the day, by the way. And all of a sudden, the win probability is back to even, and then after he scores, after Jose Ramirez's double... It's all in the Indians' favor from there on out. So because of the big hit, the big clutch hit with two outs, I mean, Jose Ramirez doesn't even get up if Cesar Hernandez doesn't get that hit. Plus, scoring all the way from first, scoring standing all the way from first on a ball in left field, I got to give Cesar Hernandez MVP for a day. And he had three hits, three for four, three RBIs, one run scored. Jose Ramirez is the only other one to have a multi-hit game. 
Hernandez has got his average up to 283 with a 758 OPS. We know he's not a power guy, but a 283 average is looking really, really good. Jose Ramirez has his average up to 292 with a 992 OPS. Another extra base hit, another home run, and Jose Ramirez is going to push that OPS over 1,000, which would definitely, definitely help him in that MVP debate. Cesar Hernandez... He's going to be an interesting guy to keep an eye on. I mean, as, as Indians fans, do you want to bring Cesar Hernandez back? That's my question to you. Would you offer him a contract? In his career, uh, he went into arbitration with the Phillies. So he never signed like an extended contract with the Phillies or anything like that. In his first year of arbitration, he made 2.5. In his second year, he made just over $5 million. In his third year of arbitration, he made $7.75 million. When he signs with the Indians, now his last year with the Phillies, he had a down year, that 2019 season. He, he struggled a little bit. So he had to take a value contract with the Indians. So he actually signed for less than he made in his final year of arbitration. He signed for the Indians this year for $6.25 million. Would you re-sign him? The free agent class for second baseman this year, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees is going to be a free agent. He's 32, so he's getting up there in age, but, I mean, he's crushing it. He leads all second baseman in war at 2.64 war. He's got a 996 OPS, a 355 batting average. He might win the batting title this year. Um, 10 home runs, so LeMahieu is crushing for the Yankees. In fact, if the Yankees don't re-sign him, with all the injured players, with Stanton getting injured, with uh, Judge getting injured, LeMahieu has been carrying the Yankees for the last two seasons. So it'll be interesting to see. He, he's been playing on a, sal- a $12 million salary this year. So will the Yankees throw a few more years at him, a couple more million? Will he continue to be one of the top-paid second basemen in all of baseball. Uh, the next, you know, most likely the best second baseman out there is Cesar Hernandez. He has a 1.04 war for 2020. I don't know if these stats are up to date after yesterday's game. Uh, he doesn't have the highest contract. He might have the third highest contract. Uh, Jed Lowry, I guess, is under salary for $11.5 million for the Mets. He's 37. I don't think he played this year. So uh, I don't know what's going on there. He might have opted out because of COVID or something like that. I don't exactly know. Cesar Hernandez is 31, so I'm, assume, I'm assuming he'll be 32 by next season. So in May. And so at the beginning of next season, he'll turn 32. So we'll see. I mean, his numbers are impressive. Teams are probably going to take a run at him. Could the Indians lock him up? Would they give him... Three years for $30 million, maybe $10 million a year. That seems like a fair deal for Cesar Hernandez. But, or do they pass? Do they pass? Let them walk into free agency like they've let a lot of guys. They've done this with pitchers year after year, where they give a pitcher an invite to spring training, a guy that's down, he has a great season, and then he goes and signs a multi-year deal with somebody else. Usually doesn't have as much success as they had in that one season with the Indians. Jonathan Scope is also going to be a free agent. He hits for way more power than Hernandez does. He also signed for $6.1 million with Detroit. Uh, he's close to one and more. Jerickson Profar is going to be a free agent. Colton Wong has an option. A 12, uh, he's at $12.5 million right now with St. Louis. He's got an option. 
So we'll see if they pick that up or he becomes a free agent. After that, it gets a little thin. Uh, names you'll know is Drupal Cabrera and Brad Miller, former Cleveland Indians, will both be free agents. Uh, so yeah, Kipnis, uh, you know, had a, I think he had an invite, so he probably is on a one-year, one million dollar deal. So Kipnis will be a free agent again. So will someone give him another year? Give him another chance? So yeah, I mean, Cesar Hernandez, if you could lock him up for another three or four years. Wouldn't be a bad second baseman to have for another three or four years. If Cesar Hernandez leaves, if they don't pick up the contract on uh, Santana, right? He has like a $17 million option. If they trade Francisco Lindor, you could be looking at a completely different infield in 2021. I mean, you'd be looking at an infield of probably Nolan Jones at third base, Yu Chang at shortstop maybe, uh, Jose Ramirez back to second base only because uh, Tyler Freeman is a lot younger. I think he's a little further down in development than Nolan Jones is. And then maybe Bobby Bradley or um, Jake Bowers at first base. So that's that could be your infield next year. Uh, there, there's a lot of decisions they're going to have to make this offseason. And I would like to see them... I would rather them throw some money at Cesar Hernandez than throw some money at Carlos Santana. Rather than pick up Carlos Santana's $17 million option, or maybe Santana works out a hometown discount where they decline the option and then he signs for two or three years. We know Santana loves playing in Cleveland. And if his batting average wasn't so terrible this year, I would probably want to keep Carlos Santana. But it's been a bad year, and I would rather throw a little bit of money at Cesar Hernandez right now than throw money at Carlos Santana. So, diving back into this game, the one last thing I want to note is about Zach Plesac and his pitches. Plesac, what makes him so great, why, I think why he's having such a great year, is he will literally throw any one of his four pitches in any count. Looking at the count breakdown on StatCast here, he threw mostly first-pitch fastballs, 12 first-pitch fastballs, but then mixed in six sliders, uh, five change-ups, and two curveballs. So literally, you could see anything on the first pitch. Now, we saw yesterday with um, with Bieber that when he got behind, you know, he would lean towards certain things. When he got ahead, he would lean towards certain things. We saw that with Tristan McKenzie, too. Not with Plesak. When he gets 1-0, 2-0, the change-ups, the fastballs, the sliders continue. It continues to be a mix of pitches. I will tell you at 3-0, he threw a fastball. That's that's the one guarantee. Yeah, but he only got into 1-3-0 count yesterday. Even on 3-2, he threw three change-ups, he threw one slider, and he threw one fastball on 3-2 counts. So I'm telling you, you don't know what's coming from Zach Plesak. You There's really... No sequencing that you can like pick up here and kind of anticipate and lean into. If I were a hitting coach looking at this, if I were the next hitting coach facing Zach Plesak, I wouldn't know what to tell my guys. I, I wouldn't know what trends to tell my guys. You know, if you get ahead in the count, look for this. If you get behind in the count, look for the off-speed pitch. No, it's it's a complete mix of pitches. He got into four o two counts yesterday, right? He threw one changeup. One curveball, one slider, and one fastball on an 0-2 count yesterday. As a hitter, what are, you, what are you anticipating? So I think that is part of the reason why Plesak has been so good this season. It's a really cool breakdown, a really cool stat to look at. All right, 
the last thing we got to talk about is so everybody, every single beat reporter tweeted this out yesterday. This is the first time the Indians have had three pinch hitters in a row all get hits since June 4th, 1974. And if you're thinking to yourself, why does June 4th, 1974 sound so familiar to me? Well, it's because it is the infamous 10-cent beer night at Cleveland Stadium where the Cleveland Indians had to forfeit the game. I love this description here on uh, on Baseball Reference. They have a quick blurb here. Tencent Beer Night went horribly awry as drunken Cleveland fans attacked Texas outfielder Jeff Burroughs and the umpires. Umpires declared a forfeit win by Texas over Cleveland. This game was actually... The Rangers were winning 5-3 going into the ninth inning. Let me tell you how this ninth inning went down because that's where the pinch hitters come in. So Oscar Gamble starts the inning for the Indians by grounding out. Steve Foucault was pitching for the Rangers. George Hendrick then gets a double in the left field. This is when the Indians go to their bench. Ed Crosby comes in to pinch hit. He singles to right field. Rusty Torres then comes in to pinch hit. He singles into center field. Then Alan Ashby comes in to pinch hit. He singles uh, to third base, an infield single. So then John Lowenstein, the scheduled hitter, so those are your three pinch hitters, he hits a sack fly to center field, and that's what ties the game, makes it 5-5. That's when everything went off the rails. Ed Crosby's hit, his single in the right field, was also an RBI that scored George Hendrick. So the Indians actually came back and tied this game at 5, and that's when... Everything went crazy. If you got, if you don't know about Ten Cent Beer Night, please go find like a Terry Pluto book or a Zach Meisel. Book. Somebody has written a book that explains Ten Cent Beer Night. Um, it is an insane story, an absolutely insane story. And uh, it was the last time the Indians had three pinch hitters in a row, back to back to back, all come in and get hits. So that is some fun history for you right there. All right, the American League Central standings. Before we wrap this thing up, the standings in the American League. The Minnesota Twins hang on the first place. The White Sox taking the loss move a game back. The Indians climb up on everybody. They are now one game back of the White Sox in second place, and they are two games back of Minnesota in first place, which means nobody has clinched this division yet. Both central divisions are still up for grabs. Now, the Indians face Pittsburgh, who just beat, uh, who did they beat? They won 7-0 last night over the Cubs. So keep that in mind. But the Chicago White Sox now have to face the Cubs. Will the Cubs take it easy on them once they lock up the division? I don't know. But then the Minnesota Twins have to go face the Cincinnati Reds. There are still some doubleheaders that have to be played. I know St. Louis has to play a doubleheader tonight. So there are still a lot of things that could happen. Uh, based on how that double header goes down and uh, whether or not the Cubs have to keep fighting for this division. So hopefully they do. I know Minnesota is going to have their hands full with Cincinnati. Hopefully the White Sox will have their hands full with the Cubs. The White Sox are on a five-game losing streak. The, the Cleveland Indians and the Minnesota Twins are both on winning streaks. Minnesota four games, Indians now on a five-game winning streak. So everybody is going to have to work this weekend. It is going to be some fun baseball down the stretch. It's 7 o'clock games for the Indians tonight and tomorrow night, and then everybody's playing at 3 o'clock on Sunday. 
So Sunday afternoon, after the football games are over, definitely flip on some baseball. After the 1 o'clock games are over, definitely flip on some baseball and check out how this season wraps up. Going tonight for the Indians, it's Carrasco against Keller for the Pirates. Then Savali will go against Musgrove. And then on Sunday, you're probably looking at a bullpen game. You're, they're not going to bring Shane Bieber back out to pitch. He is going to pitch game one of that wildcard series no matter what happens. So you're probably looking at Cal Quintrall. You're probably looking at Quintrall pitching again on Sunday. He pitched so great the first time. I don't know why they would do anything different or go with Plucko or anything like that. So uh, maybe Tristan McKenzie, who's been, but they, I think they want to keep him coming out of the bullpen because they know that's going to kind of be the role in the playoffs. So we'll see. It's going. They have going to have to make some interesting decisions because there won't be off days in the playoffs. Will Quantrill or uh, McKenzie have to make a start in the playoffs at some point? We'll see. We shall see. But tonight we've got to deal with the Pirates, who just put up seven runs against the Cubs. So we're gonna have to bring it tonight. No let up tonight. Let's go try to win this division. Why not? Why not go into the playoffs with the momentum? of winning the division. All right, those are my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It was the Indians 5, the White Sox 4. We'll be back tomorrow to cover this Pirates game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.